we have concluded the Gospel of John. If you have been worshiping with us, I very much hope that as we went through the Gospel of John, you could hear the voice of the Lord calling you personally to trust him. Because that was the offer. That was again and again. John speaks in the power of the Spirit saying, calling us to trust Jesus. And the Lord speaks with such a tenderness through that gospel. A shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. He's a friend. He's a provider. He's always introducing us to the good father. It's no wonder John is called the apostle of love. His work is filled with love. I hope, too, there were, there were frequent times over the many weeks that we were in the gospel of John that you felt the love of God inside. As we heard the word and it was washing over us, that, that you felt God's love. Or that you found a word of strength or a word of encouragement. It was, it was just for you and you knew it. You knew that God was speaking that day to you. And that happens, that does happen. Because we come here and we present ourselves to the Lord to honor him and worship, we can have those experiences of him. That he comes to us. He has spoken and he keeps speaking. But God's people have not always been guided so intimately, so closely, so personally. We're going to go back and we are going to think about ancient Israel uh, I do apologize. We're talking about giving today. So um, if you're visiting, this is the Sunday you didn't want to be here. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I've been in that position. You hit, the, hit that week when they're talking about it. Um, but I, I hope that, I hope this will be, a, I hope you'll leave encouraged. I hope you'll leave with worship in your heart. So, I want to invite you to imagine yourself for a moment back in ancient Israel. Not New Testament times. I'm talking way back, way back. It could be in the 400 years of the judges before there was a king in Israel. Or it could be under the kings of Judah. But here we are. We're going to land in our imagination back in ancient Israel. And you no longer have the Holy Spirit because at that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given, had not been poured out. Atonement had not been made, and so the offer of forgiveness was not there. You live in one of the villages, let's say Ephraim or Benjamin. Let's, we'll pick one. You're about 20 miles from Jerusalem. That'd be from here to the Boise Airport. That's where you're living. Because that's where the temple is, 20 miles away. And that's where God interacts with his people. Not where you are, where the temple is. If you want to feel the comforting presence of the Lord, the things we take for granted, you want to feel his comfort. If you want to feel his peace, you want his presence. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to go to the temple. 
But you are drawn, you're drawn there. That's what you want. Uh, you, you know that God wants you to come. He said so. He wants you to enter his courts with thanksgiving. He wants you to be with him. To, imagine, to, to do this imagination, we have to commit a fallacy. Uh, we have to think about God as if he were a created being. Because what we're doing is we're, we're spatially confining him in our imaginations. Um, because remember, having gone back in time, he is not in you, in our imagination. But he is, he is there. He, what he's not, he's not constantly bringing to mind his peace where you are there in the village. He's not constantly bringing his words to effect. He's not bringing his love to your mind and like we experience, the things we take for granted. He's 20 miles away. He's seated on his throne above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Yes, he sees all, he knows all. He can bring his power to bear anywhere, at any time, simultaneously. But if you want to worship him, you want intimacy with him, you want to talk to him, and you want to have his words taught and explained. You want to experience power. You want to experience love. You have to go there to the temple. And 20 miles takes some doing. But you want to go. Because this is not like some temple of Moloch or Baal that's full of dread, fear, loathing. We're visiting that temple means somehow trying to manipulate the God. No, no. This is, this is the living God who loves, who dwells with his people. It's where David says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Where he says, let us come to the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise there in the temple courts. Or Asaph. I like this, Psalm 73. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. <clears throat> For I was envious of the arrogant. When I looked around and I saw the prosperity of the wicked, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. When I went into the presence of God, my thoughts were ordered. Then I saw, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your wonderful works. It was there. The, the presence of God was there. And there in his presence, God gave clarity of vision. He gave assurance of his love. He gave comfort. The peace and the, the, the... This is the same God. So the peace and the comfort that we experience was available 
in the courts of the temple because God was there. And, and apparently, according to the Psalms, his presence was palpable. There's this consistent theme. They could feel his holiness and his goodness. And it gave them strength and power and joy. You would want to be there. Bunches of the Psalms are filled with how this longing to be in his presence. You want to be there. But the cares of life were heavy. This is antiquity. So let your imagination strip away all the conveniences. There's no refrigeration. No, no preservation of cold food ready for the microwave. There's no microwave. No quick cooking at all. No quick washing. There's a mud brick dwelling. Food is whatever is available in your family's garden. And dried goods that you manage to preserve. The work is backbreaking. All of the elderly are bent. That, you, you can see that today. You go to pre-modern cultures around the world. All of the elderly are bent because they have labored. That's, that's normal life. Every year, there will be weeks of abundance because of the harvest and weeks of scarcity every year. And some years, you will have to go hungry in order to preserve the seed for the planting. One psalm declares, those who go out weeping, carrying their seed to sow, they're weeping because they couldn't eat it. And they're desperately hungry. But they had to preserve it. Will come back with songs of joy, bringing their sheaves, so these burdens of ancient rural life made visits to the temple very difficult. You wanted to go. It was very difficult. Personal visits. And so then it was easy to fix your hopes on your own efforts. Your, your care of the animals, your care of the crops, your management of the household, when your life is, is, is so often on the edge, if you are just able to do a little bit better, work a little harder, there's, there's this temptation. It's the same temptation that modern people have uh, towards control of everything. It just takes a little bit different form. The ancient temptation was to control, control your circumstances in order to survive. We try to control to comfort ourselves. That's what we... But God is good, and he arranged his household, he arranged his people to deal with these very circumstances. He wants people to know him and to enjoy him. And so he gave the law, which we so often tend to think of the law as this terrible burden we haven't read carefully. He gave the law to order the life of the people for their good. For their good. He, he knew that each person needed the goodness of time with him. 
Each person needed the goodness of his presence, the goodness of peace, the restoration of worship with him. But they also needed to work. God knows this. He knows what the world is like. He also knew that the identity of the people would require regular rhythms and rituals for a people to know who they are. They have to have routine affirmations, confirmations of who they are, where they come from. All humans are prone to forget. They were prone to forget who they are and to then just start adopting whatever those closest to them were following. Whatever they did, especially if those nearby people seemed to offer quicker methods of control, like gods who might interfere, intervene with your relational troubles, who could be manipulated. So God gave the law to form his people as a people, to remember their story. And he, he built into it everything they would need to live freely. Because that's the goal. Live freely. Live as the people of God. Live joyfully. Live peacefully. And so consider. Consider some of what he commanded. He required that they do crop rotation. It's built into the law. Leaving the land fallow for certain periods. So it would be restored and refreshed. He commanded ways of harvesting that would leave some of the crops to be gleaned by those who had fallen into a vulnerable position. Built it into the law. He would not allow unbridled domination or destitution. He wouldn't allow someone to continue to accumulate or someone to continue to fall because every 50 years everything would be reset. The year of Jubilee was to go back. Go back to the family land, your family inheritance, everything restored. If someone had fallen into really hard times and they had sold themselves into slavery, they would be freed. And the commonwealth would have a reset. He knows how we work. Most importantly, though, he commanded a rhythm of life for his people that had worship at the center. He built in required trips to the temple, trips that corresponded with the harvests, when there was abundance, corresponded with times when there's plenty to go around, so that trip, that 20-mile journey, is not the burden that it would be two months later. He knows his world. He knows when it's right for his people to journey, when, it's, when they're ready to share. And he called all the people to come visit with me. Everybody come. Come to the courts. Come feel my restoring presence. You need it. Come feel peace. Come feel goodness. Celebrate. Rejoice. Enjoy the goodness. They would hear the law read. They would hear the law taught. The rituals that were, they were required to perform, they were required to participate in, took them back into their own story, into their journey. It, it reestablished who they are as a people. And so the effect 
on their, on their national identity was to form them and to keep them as a people holding fast to what's good, turning from what's evil. The law is good. Now, a huge part of these rhythms of worship, this is the part we don't like. <laughs> Here we are. We're tithes. Tithes and free will offerings. What are these? Free will offerings were given as a person felt led. That we like. Sometimes based on need, what was going on. Like Exodus 36, you remember this moment? They need to build the, the tabernacle. And so they were invited to give items of gold, silver, cloth, purple stuff, and built the tabernacle. Or they, they might be uh, offerings of humble thanks. So let's say if half of your flock bore twins. Whoa. Um, that, a free will offering would be an offering of humble thanks. You gave to us abundantly this year. This lambing season. We praise you. Before the tithes... Nobody wondered, no one ever asked this question, how much should I tithe? Tithe means something, right? It's already established. It means the tenth part, 10%. And as we heard from Leviticus, Stephen read for us, the law concludes, the, the end of Leviticus ends with this, what we read. Every tithe, every tenth part of the land, whether of the seed of the land, that's grain, or the fruit of the trees. It's the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, that means keep some of the fruit, keep some of the seed, you can, you can bring money or items instead of it. That's redeeming the tithe. He shall add a fifth to it. So a, a little more money. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal you have, shall be holy to the Lord. That means brought for sacrifice. The grain, the fruit, the goats, the lambs, cows, it all belongs to the Lord. Every bit of land, every bit of grass, it all belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. And so the tenth part is a symbol, it's a token, it's a sign of all the rest. But most importantly, most importantly, this rhythm of worship through tithing, through bringing that tenth part, internalized. It, it made real, it made concrete the people's dependence on God. That's what it's for. It made real their confession that all of it is his. It made real their belief that he's the provider that their life is in fact dependent on him as the giver, the sustainer, the deliverer. He is all those things. We can say that. They could say that till they were exhausted with saying it. Bringing the animal says you believe it. Right? He is the one who protects the land. He is the one who brings the rains. He's the one who makes animals fertile and strong, who controls all the earth. 
And the Lord had explained this purpose, this beautiful purpose in Leviticus 26. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, if you follow this, you come for the rituals, you journey to my presence, you enact your trust in me, then I will give you your rains in their season. The land will yield its increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. There won't be gaps. There won't be times of hunger. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I love that sentence. Whatever you had stored, you'll have to throw some of it out because the new will come. The harvest will, the harvest will be quicker than you've eaten all that you had. Yes, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. That's what it's all about. All of that blessing are signs that he is their God, and they are his people, and the world will know that he's the God of love, that he's the God who cares. So, by coming to the required rituals and feasts, the people visibly, bodily enacted their trust in God. They believed him about this. They declared, we believe you. Of course, you know, that's not how it played out. That was the plan. That was the design. Unbelief was rampant in ancient Israel. It was every bit as rampant as here and now. And it was expressed most clearly in the fact that they didn't keep the feasts. The history of the Old Testament, we actually never, we never see one instance when the, the year of Jubilee was observed. There's no record of it. They may have done. They didn't keep the feasts and they didn't bring the tenth or they brought the sick animals, they brought animals that were going to die anyway, and they brought that as their offering. They turned to their own resources. They grew greedy. Greed. Greed is just one more expression of control. And they turned to other gods who offered shortcuts. But the plan was good. The fact that they did not follow the plan says nothing about the plan. It was good. The design, the law, 
was to have a people with free hearts because they trusted a living, loving God. And tithing, I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but because we run away from the law, but tithing was the principal expression of trust. It's the chief way. They were given to demonstrate trust. There are additional goods that come from it, namely providing for the tribe of Levi, the priests and those who maintained the temple and taught the word. They had no inheritance. They had no family lands. They depended on the people. And when people didn't worship, people didn't observe, the Levites couldn't live. And so one of the reasons that Israel failed morally is the Levites stopped teaching the word because they, they couldn't sustain themselves. They, had to, they hired themselves out to work other people's fields instead of teaching the word of God. And that meant the people were not receiving the word of God. Now, why would we spend so much time talking about ancient Israel? You may be, may be thinking this. What a weirdo. Because it's the same God and Father of all. It's the same God. The same God who gave the law, came to meet us in Jesus Christ. The law was given to shape his people in a way that was good. And so, what the law was supposed to do for Israel but it failed to do because of unbelief. And the truths that it was meant to show, the truths it was meant to teach and to internalize in people, those truths we're also supposed to internalize. Same God, same truths, same principles are supposed to be in us. The Holy Spirit, the Word tells us the Holy Spirit writes the law on our hearts He's not writing the regulations. The Holy Spirit is not writing the rituals on our hearts. He's writing the truths those rituals point to. The truths Israel was supposed to get. We get. So teaching us the same things about God and about ourselves. So now, as we move into a holiday season, and then we move into a new year, that's a church year, a calendar year, there is opportunity to assess. We always do this, right? Come to this time of year, we reassess. Have we fallen prey to the fallen order? Have our minds fallen into lockstep with the fallen order? Like the Israelites with the surrounding nations. Has the desire for control seized us? Go ahead and personalize it. Has the desire for control seized me? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That lust, that means desire. Desire for things of the flesh. Desire for things that are pleasing to the eye, comfort to the body. The pride of life that will advance me that will exalt me? Do I desire those things that will, will shape the world around me? 
Have we oriented our lives to what is perishing? The Old Testament is revealing to us what we do with our possessions reveals our faith. If you don't take anything else from today, take that. What we do with our possessions reveals our faith, where we place our faith. It's a universal principle. There is no command to tithe in the New Testament. You know that, I think. There's no 10% required. But somehow, the law written on our hearts should be consistent with the wisdom that comes to us from the law. Prosperity and making a faithful people. There's something there that when it's written on us should teach us something similar. And next week we will ponder that as New Covenant people. But this week, now... Let's give thanks. I think we can stop with that. Let's give thanks that we have a God who wants us to live with him, that wants us to live well, abundantly, wants us to live lives of blessing. He does not want us to have periods of no food. That wasn't part of the plan. He wants there to be enough. And and he wants there to be enough that we can celebrate, that we can share, that we can feast. Like yesterday, you brought food and we feasted. Awesome. He wants that for us. He's loved the world so much. He's a gracious God that he gave a people a law, Israel, to show what prosperity and a joyful life can look like. And then he came personally in Jesus Christ to deliver it. What we could not put into effect as a people. He comes to bring to us the reality of it. Far more wonderfully than we could have imagined. Far more effectively than we could, we could make happen. Without exercising terrible force. On one another. He gives us a will. That's a good God. He knows us. He loves us. Father, you are amazing and glorious. We know that you don't want your people to suffer. You don't, it gives you no pleasure when there's decay and there's want and there's striving and stretching out to control and you didn't make us for that thank you for making us for joy and life and freedom we pray lord that in your mercy you would use the the bits of suffering that come to us that this fallen order brings to us to turn, uh, turn us to dependence on you. Turn our hearts towards you. Give us trust. Give us faith. And even now, Lord, I pray for James. That he would turn to you in this struggle. You would show yourself faithful. You'd comfort his heart. 
and Stephanie with him and the kids. In Jesus' name.